and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Cape Fear Stripers from December to April. And I'm going to be talking with Captain Jot Owens, Jot It Down Charters out of the Wrightsville Beach area. We're going to be covering such topics as seasonal movements, where to look, tide, water temps, and then ultimately what to throw. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest, the Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined every week by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. What's happening, Billy? We're not in the weekly report studio. We're back in the podcast studio. Yeah, man. It's always good to be uh, back in the podcast chair. I was just yawning right before you brought me on. I'm like, I hope I get through this yawn before <laughs> before I'm on. Uh, but yeah, man, it's always good. Always good to talk to Jot. He's been a guest on the show before, so uh, just a wealth of knowledge. And, and I would even say a fishing celebrity in the area if I had to, you know, put him out, on, put him out there. So... Looking forward to uh, to the episode and getting some good information. And want to shout out to our sponsors really quickly. Uh, we got SRD20.com and then also Marine Warehouse Center. So I'm going to talk a little bit about SRD20 real quick. So they sent us some product. We got a waterless wash and wax and then also a graphene spray protectant. Uh, so they specialize in um, boat cleaning material. So anything that you need to clean your boat with, keep it clean throughout the year, these guys are going to be the ones to take care of you. And they sent Gary. Actually, they sent us some soap uh, that's yours. I gotta, I gotta get it over. I gotta walk across the street and bring it to you. So yeah, just whenever I get a chance. I'm ready. <laughs> it's about that. Well, you know, gonna certainly gonna continue using the boat through the holidays. Gonna, and then right at the first of the year when boat show and fishing school season starts, gonna take the boat in the marine warehouse. But I'm also gonna clean it up, and I am definitely gonna use SRD20 product that graphene spray, and. Uh, I've been talking about it and I was actually just looking through my notes and thinking about, you know, is there's just something I haven't been mentioning and I like this, like this is something I haven't thought of because we've been talking about the ease of it. You can apply it in the sun or shade. So sometimes when you're waxing, man, if that sun's boiling down, it's just not an environment that will work well for waxing, but the graphene spray, sun or shade. And then the other thing, and I got to go to my notes just so I don't mess this up, can be applied to rub rails, plastic, glass metal there's no white buildup left behind so if you've been familiar with the white residue of waxing you're not going to be familiar with the white residue if you switch over to graphene spray which Mm. again gary hurley and the fish post boat will be doing here at the start of the new year i might try to wax on my forehead gary see if that helps bust down some of the shine you know what i'm saying maybe or maybe it shine it up more I, don't I was going to say, I was just trying to figure <laughs> out if that was going to go in the right direction. I don't right have a boat. I don't have a boat. I don't know what wax does to a boat. Jeez, I'm the wrong guy for this. You can SRD 20 my boat. I'll give you the boat owner experience. Just come on over. That's per- Okay. Give me the keys. I'm in. I'm in. Well, you don't need the keys to graphene spray. Nah, you can no, just no, go I need down the keys. and go to work, man. I got to make sure. I got to make sure it slides to the water nicely <laughs> after waxing it up. <laughs> and speaking of boats, speaking of not having a boat, wanting to buy a boat, in the holiday season, this is a great time to head over to Marine Warehouse and buy your loved one a boat. And we got a quick message from them. We'll be right back. 
At Marine Warehouse, we have everything from trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there. We want you out there with us. There you go, man. Yep. Good crew. Yeah, man. Like I said, got a list for him for this winter. Includes a jack plate. Includes a couple of things, man. Helped me replace a latch, man. They did a hard-to-find latch for me, replacement latch. They're good dudes. Yeah, buy a boat. Buy a boat for Christmas, and you don't just get a boat. You get a relationship. Go to Marine Warehouse Center. Gary, if your boat is so old, they have to go find a latch for it. It might be time to upgrade. Well, Emmett tells me every time Emmett. it's time to upgrade. He tells me every time, but I tell him, like, let's, no, I don't even have a good joke for that. I just can't do it yet. <laughs> got to get, got to get a couple kids out of the house, I think, before I can find that money. Yeah, they're almost there, man. Almost. Just keep pushing. Keep pushing. Uh, well, man, speaking of Emmett, he's a very busy guy, multi-talented. And so, Gary, he shares a talent with a famous rock and roller with the last name of Van Halen. Can Do you know? <laughs> maybe that's two names, actually. I don't, I don't really know. No, we'll call that one name. Can, can you imagine what Emmett, where in the world is Emmett, and what he would be doing that is very similar to Eddie Van Halen? That's the only guess I'm going to give you, actually. Man, he better be up on stage either in tight leather or a diaper playing the guitar. Well, here he is, Gary. He is preparing for his Christmas concert. It's called <laughs> Rockin' Round. There you go. So there's Emmett in his torn-up jeans and his nice... Kentucky waterfall. Look at this. That is fantastic. Good for Emmett. I'm glad he gets out, man. That guy works hard and plays hard, man. He's got the right recipe. You guys be sure to head over to the Marine Warehouse and ask Emmett where his next show is. He is rocking and rolling for the holidays. <laughs> ask him where he got his leather pants. And Go in him, there and say, hey, man, where do you get your leather pants? And if you and if you have something they can sponsor, just make sure you ask them that too. That way, and then say, "Look, I'll make fun of you more than the Fisherman Post guys," and I'm sure he'll <laughs> sign right up. No problem. <laughs> Thank you, Emmett. Thank you, Marine Warehouse. You guys are great. Uh, what else do you want to see, Gary? You want to see a, a better picture than that? I don't know if you. Can get I want to see a fish that. photo for sure, man. Here we go. All right, we got Tommy Perry of Southport caught these speckled trout on live shrimp while fishing in the Cape Fear River. Pretty good looking trout right there, man. Those are a those couple are good. of good looking trout right there. I was looking for a length on there. What do you think those are? I don't even <laughs> 20, know. 22 and 20, 21 and 19. I don't know. Maybe Jot, maybe Jot Owens knows when I when we get him on the screen. Yeah. Well, sooner the better because we're running out of material. <laughs> what else we what else we got going on? We get fishing. Do we not only have like bi-weekly fishing reports now during these winter months, but we get some live shows. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, man. So we have been doing and we will continue to do weekly fishing reports from April through October. But here in the November to March time frame, we've got a couple of things going on. First is bi-weekly fishing reports. So, you know, the fishing slows down, the water gets cold, the fish slow down. But we still want to keep you up to date with bi-weekly fishing reports. But then we've got some special live shows. So only for members, live shows where you can text in, call in, email in with questions for our captains in real time, or you can give us your questions in advance and they'll be talking about such topics as 
trout on bait, trout on artificial, stripers, nearshore bottom fishing, red drum, black drum. I mean, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We'll have two to three captains up there at a time, and you'll have full access to them to ask them the questions that you wish I was asking them. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder that often, like how many people are like, man, I wish you would ask this question, but you do pretty good at asking questions. So, I mean, on occasion, because I, I have no memory, so I don't remember anything. So it's like I'm hearing all this information for the first time. I know I've, you're I've heard Captain John Owens talk about stripers before, but do I remember that? No, I don't remember that information. So even though he's going to be talking about Cape Fear stripers again, I'm going to, it's like I'm going to be hearing it for the first time. It's, I'm a great guest. I'm a great host. Yeah, right. Hey, you know what, Jot? The only thing I remember is when you tell me to reel, hand me the rod, and tell me to reel. <laughs> Well, man, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to let you guys chat about catching some Striver. All right. Billy's best takeaway, though. You're not off. You are tuned in for Billy's best takeaway at the conclusion, at my conclusion of talking with Captain Jot Owens. But, yeah, let's bring him to the stage. Let's bring him to the screen. Captain Jot Owens, Jotted Down Charters, out of the Wrightsville Beach area. How you doing, man? Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. What happened? It's been two years ish i know you don't remember but i remember and now it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast captain jot owens jot it down charters out of the riceville beach area a pleasure to have you back on the show thank you so much for making yourself available good evening gary thanks for having me uh, i think it's been two years ish somewhere in there do you remember well Certainly, I can't be expected to remember a conversation from two years ago. That is un unreasonable expectations. So I am very much looking forward to talking about stripers, but not just winter stripers, but stripers up until I guess you finish in April or typically finish or just transition. So, but if you remember from two years ago, before we get to talk fish, and I'm even jumping the gun, you, the tradition goes, you got two questions, two questions to answer, and then we begin the main event. Captain Jot Owens, you tell me you're ready for question number one, and that's what I'll give you, question number one. You got it. Let's go. Why should we listen again to you talk about a striper? Um, I really enjoy fishing for Cape River stripers. I mean, it's, it's my winter fish. Um, I spend a lot of time running quite a few fishing trips, uh, guided trips, but I, I do a lot more fun fishing for stripers than I do other species just because I have a little more time on my hands uh, in the wintertime. Uh, I've been involved with the fishery for my entire fishing life. I mean, I've, I've fished the river my entire life, and I've been guiding on that river for a little over 20 years. Uh, worked on the fish rebuild, the fish ladders, the rock weirs at, rock, at, at lock number one, trying to get number two, number three done. We're going to talk about more about that this evening. Um, but I live all things stripers in the wintertime. I, I think that's – and when you listen to this podcast, you'll you'll – figure out either I'm really good at lying or I, or I know what I'm doing. Not only are you qualified enough to move on to question number two, you might be overqualified. You might be overqualified for this podcast. You might be slumming a little bit, but in, I don't need to say that out loud. I just need to keep you talking. So how about question number two, non-fishing? Are, are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. So not like two years ago, I'm not going to ask you about strippers instead of stripers. I'm going to ask you about the movie Cape Fear, starving Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, and Juliette Lewis. Have you ever seen that movie? I have uh, a very long time ago, and like your memory, I don't remember much of it. 
I'm going to give you true or false so you can take a good guess. True or false, and this isn't even a question about the movie. It's about Robert De Niro. True or false, Robert De Niro had his teeth ground down by a dentist to make him look more menacing for that role. I'm going to go with true. It is. It's true. He uh, threw yeah. down five grand to have his dent to have a dentist grind his teeth down to make him look more menacing. And then at the conclusion of the movie, he threw down another twenty five grand to restore them. Whoa. Wow. That doesn't surprise <laughs> me, De Niro. That doesn't surprise me. And and you know what? My other true false isn't anywhere near on that level. So we're just gonna ignore that. It's a one question true false. Let's talk about stripers. I like it. You want to begin with seasonal movements. And I think everyone, you know, basically has the question about where. I mean, they want to know what and when and all that. But where is always a good part. And, and seasonal movements is when and where. So talk to us. We're starting here in December. What do you expect to see year after year? What have you patterned? Well, you know, for me, uh, for me, it's a scenario of seasonal fishing. So I like to uh, speckle trout fish. Uh, the right soil area until it gets too cold to catch them. Now, when I say too cold to catch them, you can still catch them. But when it gets hard to catch them as a fishing guide, I want my customers to be able to catch fish. So when it gets hard to catch them, I want to put them on a fish that's a little bit easier to catch. And when the speckled trout season starts to wind down around the right soil, those fish get harder to catch because of lower water temperatures. The Cape River stripers are already feeding pretty good. They like it colder than trout most of the time. And so I know I can leave right soil beach and start fishing the river and have a successful day on the water. All right. So, and that typically, are you looking at water temp? So it's more determined by the water temper of Riceville Beach when you turn when you transition over. But for someone without that metric, when would they know? Hey, now might be a good time to hit the Cape Fear River. Is it water? It's got to be water temperature more than time of year. No, absolutely water temperature. So I have fished um, the Cape Fear River in in November. Um, I've fished the Cape River in October plenty of times, and the stripers are biting pretty good. Um, I have found that the stripers typically start biting a little better in the Cape River, and more than more importantly, they start getting together in the downtown area in the lower part of the river, starting in sometimes in mid to late November. Um, and I've actually talked to uh, some people this year have already been catching them pretty good. And I think since we had that cooler weather in October, uh, it pushed a lot of the fish down and now they're down there. But for water temperature wise, when that water temperature gets into the 60s, even the high 60s, once it drops into the 60s, a lot of those stripers start dropping out of the upper parts of the river and start dropping down to the downtown and lower part of the Cape Fear River and the lower part of the Northeast. That's when it gets good. For me, I'm typically arriving when that water is in the mid to lower 50s, even upper 40s. Um, that water starts to cool off. The river will typically be a bit cooler than the waters at the nearby beaches like Carolina Beach and Wrightsville Beach and Topsail because you've got all those little fingers of creeks and channels that reach way up into inland North Carolina. So they're going to they're gonna cool off quicker. So typically, you know, if I'm leaving Wrightsville when the water's in the low 50s, I get into the I get down the river. It's usually around 51, 52, maybe 49, even 48. So it, it drops a little bit quicker and a little lower in the river earlier because of that all that cold water coming down. But when I get down there, sometime usually in December, depending on water temperature, it might be a little later this year. We've been pretty mild lately, especially for the last two weeks. Um, the fish are biting good. When I get down there, that water's you know in the low 50s, upper 40s. The fish are biting really good. And I will catch those fish 
good a good bite until the water gets to the lower 40s now once it gets into that 42 to 40 degree range and even sometimes upper 30s i still catch them but it gets tougher to catch them they don't leave they're there they just get lethargic and it's harder to catch them i was going to ask that i was going to ask if it just gets to a point where you're thinking this isn't the return on investment might be too big or too small i mean to target them and so you've addressed that question. Then the other question I had, since we're talking about Cape Fear Stripers from December to April, I'm guessing that you transition out of stripers, not because the stripers have quit, but because Wrightsville Beach species are calling and you're going back to, I guess what you would say, more your home waters, even though Cape Fear River is easily your home waters as well. Is that is that what takes you off the river? Well, it's actually yes and no. <laughs> it's a it's a double edged sword, and, and and let me tell you what I'm what I'm getting at is typically sometime not typically every year <laughs> in in April, and it usually is mid to late April. Um, the stripers start to move, and they start to make a a, a spawning run, an attempt at a spawning run, I should say, um, and they start going up the river. And what I have found is when that water starts to flirt with the upper 50s mid to upper 50s 55 56 57 that those fish the bite slows down and a lot of fish start to move and depending on how good the fishing is say at wrightsville beach if the bonito are showing up if the bluefish are showing up those easy target fish then it's it, i may you know if i start hearing about bonito bite and i might head head on down to a wrightsville start bonito fishing or catching bluefish most of the time though I will be able to fish out the Cape River striped bass. They're still biting, and I head to the I head to the beach, start doing other things. But I have been in the river before where I was catching the fish really good, and then you know we get a lot of weather in the spring, and I and I I didn't fish for three or four days, and I go back, and it's like the stripers are gone. I mean, literally gone. Same spots, same tides very very close to the same weather and i can't buy a bite i'm not marking the fish like i was and, and then with the tagging uh, studies we've done with uh with some of the listing station tags where we actually track their movement in the past years past we found out that in later april and even sometime early may depending on water temperature those fish start especially the larger fish start moving up the river to spawn and i have i had seen that for years where the fish just all of a sudden stopped biting or they weren't there, and I figured out they weren't there later in life from the tagging data of how these fish start to move in late April to early May. Okay. Um, so you mentioned like finding them in spots, so that might be our good segue into where to look. I mean, I, I think we've covered seasonal movements. So I've understood everything you said, and I'm sure I asked you this when we talked about stripers a couple of years ago as we transition into where to look for stripers. And it is, you know, in that downtown area and the surrounding areas, everything looks fishy. Everything looks like it could hold a fish. So if I was going out there on my boat, it would be overwhelming. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities, but it might also borderline on overwhelming. So as you're telling us where to look, maybe with that mindset for the person putting in and looking and having the experience I have where every shoreline looks like it could be holding a fish. Oh, no, no, I agree. Everything looks good. And I have caught stripers, and I've said this many times in striper seminars and, and stuff, is I have caught stripers in places I've never called them before, um, as in just go try a place and catch them um, because everything looks good. Um, but there's a couple things that 
will help someone just starting or someone who has striper fish that, you know, some, just some power tips. The biggest thing in the Cave River is the Cave River, um, you know, it's a natural river, but the depth of the river, let's just say downtown Wilmington, you know, Water Street Market, it's, it's over 50 foot deep there. Uh, in the, in the 1800s and 1700s, the water there was 12 to 15 foot deep. So major change, change in tides, more water. So the scenario is there's not a lot of shallow water. There is, but there's not a lot, unless you get up in Estuary Creek or something like that. So what I have found is, is when you find those shallower places, that's where you're going to find the stripers. Now, are they sitting deeper? They are. I, I've marked them at 20 and 30 and 40 feet deep. I've caught them at 20 plus foot deep occasionally. Just got lucky trying different tactics, but it's hard to catch them in that depth, especially with the amount of tide and current that's in that river. So when you find places where there's some shallower water, you can find some fish that are hanging in that shallow water. They're easier to target and fish for because you can get lures to them even in that heavy current. So what I look for is that the major things are, um, number one is going to be reed grass lines. And, and the reed grass that grows in that river, it's tan. It's, it's died back in the, in the wintertime, so it's tan. In the summertime, it's fluorescent green. It's bright green. So when I'm down there, it's, it's pretty tan. But I have found anywhere you see that reed grass growing, there's going to be a little bit of shallow water close to there. Where that where that grass line is, usually that water is going to be a little bit shallower. So when you see reed grass on the bank of the river, that's an area you should probably try because more than likely the water is going to be a little bit shallower. Now, when I say a little bit shallower, I'm looking for places that are typically about 4 to 12 to 15 foot deep. After 15 feet of water, it's very hard to target these fish. Um, a lot of things play into, play into it. Uh, the current, uh, there's just so much current, the depth of water with the current. And then on top of that, you get to some of these deep areas where it drops off like that. You get, a, there's a lot of hangs in this river. This river, most of your hangs, most of your structure is timber, wood. And if you hang up in timber, um, you don't get your lure back. It's not like an oyster rock where you might be able to pop it off or turn the oyster over down at the beach or, or, or marsh grass line and you go get it. When you get hung in the river, I'd say, about one out of four times I get hung up, I get my lure back, like less than 25%. So keeping that in mind, when you start getting deeper and fishing those deeper waters, a lot of current, your hang ratio goes up as well because you cannot control your lure the way that you want to. So finding those reed grass lines, creek mouse, there's always going to be some shallow water on a creek mouth where that water runs out. It's going to move sediment and dirt over the years. And so you're going to have a lip, a drop off and that drop off and lip out of a Creek mouth is a great place for striper hang because it's a little bit, a little bit shower. Not there. Like I said, not there's, there's not stripers deeper, but a, a, a Creek mouth with that shower water is a place that a striper is going to be hanging that you can target that fish and have success getting a lure in front of that fish. Uh, other places, there are some docks and stuff that are good. The problem is the docks, a lot of these docks, boats have to anchor up to these docks and tie up to them. So the water's pretty deep. So sometimes I will find some of those older docks or older pilings that are in the water um, that necessarily aren't being used anymore that have, that have filled in or washed out um, from, from, from over the years. And that structure in shallower water is great structure. You just got to find that structure that is in the shallower waters. Okay, man, you anticipated my question. It wasn't so much targeting docks, but when I'm looking at water from 4 to 12 feet and I'm looking at reed grass and just sort of those shallow areas, I was wondering if you're also hoping that there's some snag material there, not to snag the lure, but do is it like flounder fishing we like, or other fishing where we like junk around to give them a way to pull out of the current? And so if you're losing lures, does that mean you're in the right spot like it does with some other fishing, or that isn't as important? 
No, absolutely. I mean, it, they're, they're very structure oriented fish. There's no doubt about it. I have, you know, even when I find fish in, in open water, and sometimes I do find them in open water, there's a reason they're there. There's a ledge, there's a roll in the bottom. There's something holding that fish. I've never found these fish on flat bottom ever. Uh, and I look, I look a lot. Um, but yeah, you, you do, you do want it. And, 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 you know, we talk about the lures, the scenario is, is over the years, I have thousands and thousands of dollars of lures in that, in that river. And as I have gotten better at fishing that river, I lose less lures and catch more fish because I found lures that, that are working just as good as what I used to use, but they don't get hung up. And so that's, that's the scenario. I mean, I, I won't lie to you. When I first started fishing the river hard 20 years ago, man, did we lose some tackle. I mean, we would lose two or three lures sometime to one striker. And, and now, you know, I mean, I go days now and we don't lose, a, a, you know, a lure on a, on a striper trip. You're usually going to lose one or two, but there are times where we don't lose a lure. Um, so that structure is important, but, you know, using the right pattern, the right lure uh, will kind of curve down um, on losing lures, but also using different lures at different spots, um, they're going to be a little better for a place that's got a lot of hangs or maybe a creek mouth where there's not as many hangs or a flat, you know, a little shallower flat on a bigger creek mouth. You might be able to use a lure like a crankbait or a rattle trap, um, but you got to be careful in using it um, or, or you're going to lose it. Um, so I am tempted to go over to lures, but I'm not, I'm not quite done yet because I have at least one more question on the where to look. And that would be, again, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm approaching this more from a beginner standpoint, you know, my conversation with you. So for a beginner, would you recommend just to stay in the main body of the river and target reed lines and creek mouths? Or is there an advantage to like going up some of the feeder creeks and getting out of the main river body? Good question. And and for me, I catch probably, if I had to put a percentage, I'd say at least 80% of the fish I catch are in the main river cuts, the Cape Fear in the Northeast and the Brunswick River. The, the main river channels is where I fish more than 80% of the time. And then I guess a follow, I mean, that's a great, that lays it out. I, I think most of my fishing has been in the main river, but I figured, you know, maybe it's easier or maybe it makes it more manageable. Then the other question would be in our conversation of where to look, does it change at all if we're having this conversation in about December, January, or if we're talking about February, March, April, does it, does where to look change much at all? No, honestly, you know, now we, you know, we talked about seasonal movements for me, the winter fishing, a lot of those fish come down the river and in the, in the, during the winter time. And, and I think they, they drop down because the water temperature is colder up the river. All the, a lot of food gets flushed out of the Creek. So lower river close to Wilmington. Also the water temperature is going to be a little, little more mild because you are getting that tidal flow down there. And then they're getting together as well to, to, to move up the river to spawn. But what I'm getting at is, is when they're in that pattern from November to mid to late April, they are generally in the same areas. Now, you get into the tide scenario, um, they might be a little higher on a bank or a little bit lower on a bank at a lower tide, a little higher on a higher tide. Um, some of these drop-offs I'm fishing at creek mouse and reed, reed grass lines will have multiple drop-offs. And I typically, from in my opinion, from what I've seen, I can catch these fish on the first, second, sometimes third drop-off, depending on how fast it drops off. There's no set number of how many feet each drop-off drops off in the river. But for me, I know the first and second drop-offs are fishable with the lures I'm using. 
And so I might find those fish on the higher uh, drop-offs on, on the first and second one. And then on lower tides, find them on the second or third one when the tide drops down a little bit. So I, I feel like they move up and down a little bit, um, but not really position to position, but more up and down following the tide. And does any of that happen with water temperature? I'm, you know, I'm thinking about fish that seek out muddy bottom or water, warmer bottom, but the river is so massive. Does fluctuating water temps affect their, you know, not necessarily position, but up and down? I haven't seen a real, I mean, I, I've been out there, I've caught those fish as low as, I've successfully landed fish in water temperatures in that river at 37 degrees. Um, now, it wasn't good fishing. We caught a few. Uh, we had a striper fest one year. It was 39 degrees that morning. The fish were caught. Tougher year, you know, not as many caught, but 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 we, we caught them. But I haven't seen it, um, the fish in a different position as far as water temperature goes in the wintertime when I'm fishing them, late fall, winter, early spring. Now, in the summertime, these fish have a tendency to spread out everywhere and, and i don't target them in, in the summertime but when i talk to bass anglers that fish up the black river and up the northeast and up the cape fear they catch them everywhere and, and and what what we see with some of the tracking data is that the fish spread out everywhere they go down river people catch them in snow's cut um, i've caught a handful in the low river before people even catch them in carolina beach inlet sometimes in the in the yacht basin in the summertime uh, to way up, way up the river, you know, to the lock and dams um, and everywhere. So, so, you know, summertime, I'm sure their pattern is different how they feed because they're warm and there's a lot more bait, a lot more going on. Um, they're moving a lot more, it seems like in the summertime, but in the wintertime, they're pretty, pretty predictable. Um, the hardest thing is, is if it gets cold, they get, it gets tougher. When it gets warmer, it gets better. Um, it, you know, the, if we have a mild winter, um, you know, my favorite time is usually December, January, but by the time we get to February, it gets tougher. Early March is tougher. Later March, it starts picking up again. And then April, it's pretty good. But, you know, we've had a couple winters in a row that have been mild, and I've had some great success in February the last couple winters. All right, man, this has been, I think, a successful conversation about where to look, seasonal conditions. So let's move on to what to throw. And, you know, I'm guessing where most people like the cast action, I guess in our conversation will include at least a little bit of what to troll. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it seasonally, even though I just said seasonal doesn't change anything. But one thing, uh, the caveat, a caveat to that is, is, is you can catch these fish on top water. Um, typically, when I get down there, the time I get down that water is in the lower 50s or upper 40s. Um, the top water bite is, is really non-existing. Um, these fish don't like um, a lot of sunlight. And when I have top water fish, fished them in the past is what I've done is I've had a client that wanted to go down the river to fish in October or November. And I always throw top water from down there. And that water is usually in the sixties in, um, if you do want to throw top water and you get down there, um, in, you know, in fall, um, or late spring when that water does start to flirt in the, in the sixties, lower to, to mid sixties, um, that what I can give you the recommendation of top water is you want to go loud and proud. You, you want these fish, um, pro tip, they don't have very good eyesight. Um, and that's just known stripers in general don't have real good eyesight put them in a deep uh tannic water river um, with brown water you you need you need vibration and sound that is my my one of my biggest things vibration and sound really seems to help get more bites so if you do so uh, do want to do some top water fishing um i do love a good old mirror lure um this is a top dog 
Um, this is the biggest um, top water plug that Miller makes, uh, the top dog. Most of the time for like trout and drum, I use uh, a top dog junior or a top pup. Um, so, so big, um, loud and proud, a lot of rattle sound, a lot of rattle sound in there. Um, but, but big and, and honestly, color wise, redhead, white body, it's hard to beat. It's got that transition between two colors. Um, a lot of side to side action if you're going to do that. And, and these fish are, are really bad about falling a lure to the boat and striking it multiple times. So if you get a blow up on a top water, don't jerk. Just keep working that lure until the lure disappears and you feel tension. A lot of anglers have a tendency to set that hook and, you know, a top water plug, unfortunately, by its shape will slide away or jump away really easily. These fish having poor eyesight, I've had a striper hit a lure like 8, 9, 10, 12 times before it finally got hooked. And even sometime never got hooked, just literally followed the lure to, to the boat. So keep working it, keep that side-to-side -side action. If they blow up on it, just maybe pause for a second. But more, more importantly, keep that lure moving until they get a hold of it. Um, but my go-to lure is going to be day in and day out for fishing those reed glass lines, drop-offs, um, creek mouse. It's going to be a, a, a swim bait. And, and I, I'm, you know, it can be a pretty generic swim bait. Um, this is a Berkeley grass pig. Um, and the hook is a Trocar TK170 swim bait hook. And I use that in three-eighths and quarter ounce. Uh, most of the time I use it in the three-eighths, a little bit of weight to get it down. Uh, and also we'll show you what one of those packages look like. So this is the Berkeley, trying to get that glare there. This is the Berkeley grass pig. Get my angles right here. <laughs> there we go. Um, and uh, great lure, um, fairly inexpensive, like I think $4.99 a pack. Uh, and and they're depend they're 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 pretty dependable. They're they're pretty um, they're pretty um, they're pretty tough rubber. They don't tear. Stripers don't really have mouths that tear lures. Um, but what I like about this lure is it's got a lot of action, um, a lot of swim action. So it's a lot of vibration. There are tons of swim baits on the on, on the market. This one is an affordable lure. I use a lot of Berkeley products. I am on Berkeley Pro staff. I, you know I will definitely tell you that. So whatever lure you like. The important things about the swim baits I have found is number one is going to be color. Um, a lot of anglers have a tendency to uh, think that you need bright colors uh, for tannic dark waters. And if you follow out of the freshwater bass anglers, you find out real quick that's not true. And I'm going to open up this uh, pack here to show you that uh, that color. Um, this is one of my favorite colors. This is swamp gas. And um, so it is a um, kind of like a new penny color. Um, it's got a light bottom, kind of dark tea, a little bit of red and black flake in it. Uh, and this is my go-to swamp gas. Um, new Penny is very close. If you like a, a New Penny swim bait from another manufacturer, it will work well day in, day out. This is the one I'm using the most. Um, and, and I'll let you know, this is a five inch bait. Uh, another color I like is the one that's on that swim bait already. And that is a crazy chrome violet crazy chrome violet and there is a little bit of purple flake in there it's kind of hard to see i'm the purple flake i care less about <laughs> but this is a clear lure with a whole bunch of silver flake and um this is one of the lures that if the water is really sweet tea as and we hadn't had rain for a while and the water it's still brown still brown in color but you put your trolling motor down and your trolling motor, you can very clearly see your trolling motor head. There's not a lot of uh, um, 
chalkiness or sediment in the water. The water is clear. It's still brown, but clear. I'm going to use that crazy chrome violet. Most days in and out when we're getting those bigger tides, there's a little sediment in the water. My go-to is going to be that swamp gas, that kind of new penny color. And then another one I like when the water is uh, is pretty clear is going to be this right here. And this is called, uh, this is called greenback. Um, and it's got a chrome belly um, with a uh, with a kind of a dark green um, back. And this is also going to be one of those lures that I like in a little bit. Um, I'm going to open it up. Sorry for the noise. Um, this is going to be one of those more in the clear uh, water scenarios. Uh, it's got a nice green back, um, real silver bright belly. Uh, and also, all these lures do have, get my angle here right, um, a really good hook slat in them there. So you can see that. And getting at that, um, here's that, that TK-170 with um, nothing on it. And if you notice, it has a very big gap or playing field in it. And that's very, very, very important for these fish. Striped bass have a very hard mouth. And um, when, they, when they hit this lure, I want this lure to be weedless. So the hook's out, but when it's going across the bottom, you know, here's the bottom. It's going across the bottom. It's weedless, okay? But what I want is having a big plane filter gap. When that fish hits, that hook can get exposed very easily, and you're going to be able to hook that fish. And a lot of anglers make a mistake with swim bait hooks because their hooks they're using don't have a big gap or a big playing field. And what happens is, is they use one that doesn't have this, this, this area, this gap here, and then they're missing fish because when these fish hit, these, these, these stripers hit, they have a very strong mouth and they will grab onto that lure and they'll run with it. And if you don't turn and set that hook like a large mouth bass or a drum, and I mean, I tell my customers, set the hook so hard they cross, you cross their eyes. I've had them run 20 yards and spit it out. And if you know anything about trocar hooks, they're extremely sharp. That has helped hookup ratio as well. But the gap is very important for that scenario. Uh, the presentation, throwing it out. I'll wait a couple seconds, let it sink down, rod tip low to the water, and a slow retrieve. It's going to rub the bottom. Rubbing is racing. I want that lure to rub the bottom. If it's not rubbing, you're not going to get as many bites. When it's rubbing, that's when I normally get my bites, okay? And a lot of times what happens is it's rubbing the bottom, rubbing the bottom, and then it'll come off one of those ledges, and just for a second, it'll stop rubbing, and that's when you get that bite. Okay. Man, uh, I love the tip about the uh, big gap in the weedless hook. I hadn't thought about that before, but it makes sense. It's certainly as you laid it out there. And uh, the one, I mean, I followed everything you said. And the one question that came up at the end is you keep your rod tip low just to keep the bait lower in the water. Is that the idea or just the angle of retrieve? What's the advantage? Yeah, just because we're dealing with so much deeper water, so much drop-offs, current everywhere and you're going to be fishing current if you're not going to catch these fish you're not fishing current at least close to current breaks in the current so your lure is going to be in the current at some point in time is yeah keeping that rod low to the water to get the maximum amount of depth that you can i have tried to add weight to these and get them down the problem is i've learned if you add weight to the front um of a, a swim bait rig then the, the the swim bait hook is not as weedless and i can tell you that if you let that swim bait hook swim to the side at all and that hook you know is not the weight's not down and that hook goes to the side at all you are going to get hung up and you probably won't get your lure back uh, one of the biggest things i see happen all the time is have customers on the boat two or three customers one of the customers catches a catches a, a striper one of the other customers grabs their phone 
Well, they're halfway uh, retrieving a lure, and they stop. They put the rod and the rod holder. The lure's still out there sitting on the bottom. Now, when this lure is not swimming through the water, what happens? It's going to sit on the bottom on its side. There's that tip, and it's going to move a little bit in that current. Then it's going to find something, and it's going to get hung up. And I cannot tell you how many times after, you know, taking a photo, releasing a striper, go to pick up the rod that's been sitting out there, and it's hung up because it was on the bottom and it's not weedless sitting on its side. So you'll see me running around the boat when they're taking a photo, reeling in rods, they're not sitting on the bottom. So just a little tip there, very important. As far as rigging this, um, I do use fluorocarbon leader in, in, in the river and I'm not using the fluorocarbon from visibility. Lordy, you don't need it. The water's pretty brown and stripers don't have that good of eyesight. But being that we're rubbing the bottom constantly, that lure, the nose of that lure, the fluorocarbon where it's tied, is constantly hitting the bottom, hitting structure. There are small barnacles down there. There are small oysters down there. There's actually a lot. Every time I catch a little stick, there's some little barnacles on it. They're sharp. I use that fluorocarbon because fluorocarbon in nature is a uh, is is harder, so it's a little more abrasion resistant. So I use that just to slide through the water a little bit easier uh, and 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 not lose it. Could you tie straight on with braid? Absolutely, you could. The problem is I found with a lot of times with braid is it's so small that every once in a while that braid will get through the eyelet of a lure or a swim bait hook and you lose your lure because the, the braid was so small. I made that mistake in the past. Um, so that four carbon leader kind of, uh, you know, gives you a little best, uh, best of both worlds there. And I use 40 pound four carbon, about two foot long. I use an all bright knot to tie it to my braid. Um, and that way it slides through the eye easy and doesn't mess up the eye. And then I do tie with the loop knot. You don't have to tie with the loop knot, but because four carbon is so stiff in nature, I feel like that loop knot will give that lure a little bit more play, a little more action in the water. All right. I'm on board with all this and I'm actually like eager to ask my follow-up questions. The first one I think is pretty straightforward. You've talked about um, sound and vibration. What about smell? Are, are, is Procure or any kind of similar product coming into play? Good question. I get that a lot. Um, I don't, I don't scent the lures. Um, I have tried in the past, man. I have, I have dipped them in menhaden oil, Procure everything. And I have not seen a, a better bite um, or more bites with scent. Now the power baits are lightly scented. Uh, and I do throw some gold from time to time. And, and honestly, I'm glad you asked this, Gary, because one thing I have been, and I'm looking forward to, I haven't tried them yet, <laughs> but um, Berkeley has come out with a new uh, series called the Paddle Shad. And get in there real close for you. These lures are have a very, a very big paddle. They're a lot like a swim bait. Uh, and they're, they mimic the, the grass pig quite a bit. Um, and they, you know, it's gulp puts out a lot of scent. And I love gulp for flounder fishing. I love gulp for red drum fishing. So for me, seeing these fish are, are, are such a reaction biter, possibly talking about how they like to hold on to a lure and, it, you know, it's hard to hook them sometimes. Maybe using some gulp, I will get a fish that will hold on to it a little longer, be able to set that hook. So my plan is to try some of these paddle shads this coming winter. Um, I hope to report back to you. Um, they make a, a, a black and gold. They make new penny. Uh, they make that chart pepper neon. So a couple colors that, that are close to what I use already. Uh, I'm going to give them a try, but but day in and day out, I'm not scenting my lures for these fish. It seems like it's a reaction bite, getting that lure in front of their face. Um, when you're fishing these spots, because their their vision, in my opinion, because their vision is is lower, 
Uh, I believe that something I've seen is changing the angle of how you cast to a spot is important. Um, it's very easy to go down a bank and just cast straight out or up, up current a little bit of the boat and reel in the lure slowly. But what I have found is creek mouse and, and, and regrass lines. So I'll have one customer casting forward, but I'll have another customer on the back of the boat that is casting back at a 45 degree different angle than the customer on the bow. And you wouldn't believe how many times that customer in the back will get a bite. Um, I believe because their eyesight is poor, that that changing that angle of how that lure either comes across their face um, or, or towards them maybe gets more bites. And I, I can't tell many times that we've casted back at a spot and gotten a bite that we didn't cast it forward at or vice versa. Um, so keep that in mind. Don't be afraid to change the angle. That has been something that has put a few more fish in the boat every time I've been in that river, uh, casting multiple times at the same spot. And surprising as it is, five or six casts later on the six casts, you get a bite. It doesn't surprise me anymore because we changed the angle. Well, man, you completely anticipated my next question. I was going to give the version of, are you more a fan of casting parallel to the shoreline or perpendicular to the shoreline or a mixture of both? But it sounds like you're a fan of everything just to try to figure out what's working that particular day or in that spot on that particular day. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the easiest to go to on that's going to be is, is cover the more area you cover, the more fish you're going to catch. And, and I, and I hate to say they're like flounder, but they are in the fact that the, the, you know, a striper will follow a bait. Man, I've had these fish, like I said, follow a bait to the boat. Flounder don't follow a bait too far. But what I'm getting at is, is because of their poor eyesight, I have figured out that you do have to get that lure fairly close to them to, to, to pull a bite from them. They, they want to see it. The vibration will help pull them towards it uh, to see it um, and know it's coming. But covering more area is what gets you more bites. And, and striper fishing is a day of a thousand cast it's that kind of fishing we are grinding 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 and the more area you cover the more cast you make the more fish you catch and that's not with all species for sure but flounder and stripers are alike in that the more area you cover the more fish you're gonna you're gonna catch so so yeah I cast, I cast parallel, vertical, it, whatever, cover the area, but, but make sure you cut, you cast at those spots at multiple angles before you move on. And you'll be surprised how many times you'll find that one angle. And there are spots that I catch fish on both tides. You know, we talked about earlier that I don't care what the tide is as long as the tide is moving, it's gotta be moving. These fish do slow down their bite uh, on, on a, on a slack tide and the slack tides usually break time for us, but, it, I've had places where I can I can maybe cast at, at a 45 degree angle one way on a falling tide, go back the next tide on a rising or a falling, and cast a different direction and get a bite. And so that just proves that that, that changing the angle, getting that lure right in front of their face, gets more bites. All right. So again, I'm looking at segues here, and covering water I think is a great segue for me to ask you to touch on trolling. I mean, most people want to cast, and the, the satisfaction of setting the hook is one of the joys of wintertime or off-season striper fishing. And so I look at trolling, you know, I guess as finding, finding fish as much as catching fish, as in find a fish, cover water, and then maybe cast to it. So what I guess I'm asking is, do you ever employ that in or whenever you do go to troll, what are some tips you can share with my crowd? So, so for me, trolling is I would prefer to cast for them because there's nothing better than filling the thump of that striper. Um, and, and, and I will segue real quick too. Um, one thing is with these stripers and your casting lures, 
is they will they will double double thump it. Uh, and what they do is I feel like with their their poor eyesight, they have a tendency to shovel or nose a bait. And a lot of times you'll get a small tick, kind of like a trout bat bite or a little flutter in your lure. And it happens so fast that if you were to say, if you're on the boat with me and you and you're about to say, I got a bite, you wouldn't even get out of your mouth and they'll eat the lure. So if you feel that tick or that shovel where they shovel it with their nose, go ahead and just, 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 if you feel anything at all, like you think it's a bite, go ahead and set that hook. All right. Cause that's something that it happens all the time. It's like you feel the shovel or the tick and less than a second after that, they actually eat the bait. So keep that in mind, but back to the trolling. So for me, if I'm trolling, it's because I typically have customers on the boat that can't cast or have younger children on the boat that can't cast. Uh, and because this is a casting, I mean, this is a casting fish. I mean, it's a casting scenario. You're, you you got to do a lot of casting. I will do some trolling and typically I'm going to use midwater crankbaits. And the most important thing is with this is we talked about how the structure is just so bad in that river. You're going to lose a lot of structure, a lot of, a lot of tackle. I, I, I lose more lures trolling than any other thing. And so I really don't like trolling if I have to. And sometimes I have to, it's whatever my clientele is that day. Um, so with that said, is I'm going to use midwater crankbaits, usually crankbaits that are going to run anywhere from six to 10, maybe 12 feet deep. And with crankbaits, the most important thing is, is if they are constantly, you know, sh uh, plowing the bottom, shoveling the bottom, they're, they're scraping the bottom constantly, then you either need to reel in some line or you need to in deploy a different crankbait, a crankbait that doesn't run as deep. Because if your lure constantly rubs the bottom trolling, you're going to lose it. Uh, it, it, you're not, you might not lose it. You're going to lose it. Okay. It, it's going to happen. So that's the most important thing is understanding that is finding those areas where you can keep that depth uh, at, a, at, a, at a decent, you know, a, a, a six to 12 foot depth area and keep those lures swimming in there correctly. Um, that's the most important thing. They're not plowing. I also cast some crankbaits on some bigger flats and shallows. Um, and I will, I, I deploy them the same way, except I'm cast and not trolling, and I just roll them in slowly. But there again, I have, have a whole bunch of different crankbaits, usually freshwater crankbaits. Uh, a lot of the Dive 2 series by Rapala, you know, you can kind of set the standard. Um, there are some crankbaits by Berkeley where they have different depths. They'll, they'll, they, will, they, will, they will go to their deepest depth. And if that lure is constantly rubbing the bottom, I'm going to change lures. Or I'm going to stop reeling, and most crankbaits float when you stop. They, they, they deploy deeper when, you, when you're moving them, but when you stop, they float. And if that lure is constantly rubbing the bottom, I'm going to stop for a second, let it, flow up, uh, let it float up a couple inches and start again. But there again, if it's plowing the bottom constantly, you're probably using the wrong lure and you're going to lose it. All right, man. Uh, yes, thank you. I wanted to get, we're just about out of time. I wanted to get in at least a brief conversation about trolling because I've seen it deployed to like, all right, we're finding some fish. Or like you said, we're taking a break. Maybe we're eating a sandwich. Because, yes, day of a thousand casts I can identify with. And, uh, but we're, we've basically run out of time. I know you could talk on and on about stripers. You're that fluent, you're that familiar. But I'm going to tie your hands and say, Jot Owens, I'm giving you the floor for one more final thought when it comes to Cape Fear stripers between December and April. What do you got for us? Um, well, I mean, reiterate. Don't be afraid to cover area. Don't be afraid to look at new places. If it looks good, try it. Um, take some of these tactics I've given you and, and, and try them. Try your own stuff. 
Um, rattle traps were good. I know a lot of people use rattle traps. I, I don't use a lot of rattle traps myself because, boy, every time I use a rattle trap, I lose it. But I know a lot of old timers that love rattle traps. So if you know somewhere where there's some open water, you've heard about stripers being caught, try rattle traps sometimes. But the most important thing is keep that rod tip down. Slow, steady retrieve, not too fast. I'm using medium action uh, Fenwick inshore, HMG inshore rods with a 2,500 or 3,000 size spinning reel with 10 or 15 pound braid, just your common inshore setup. Cover area, you'll get the fish. I promise you if, you, if you put in enough casting, enough time, you'll catch them. You'll start to see those trends I was talking about, and you'll have a successful day on the river. And I'll add in, or you can also please consider booking our good friend here, Captain John Owens, man. He's happy to take you out on the Cape Fear River, show you what he's been talking about. I mean, there's nothing like firsthand knowledge, firsthand experience. Please keep watching the podcast, but give Captain Jot a call. John Owens, always a pleasure to talk to you. Longtime friend. I mean, I think you've been one of the few that's been doing this longer than I've been doing Fisherman's Post. So I have enjoyed the relationship through the years. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate you having me, Gary. It's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll do we'll do another one sometime soon. Right on. All right, Billy. If you don't have a Billy's right. best takeaway, then you're fired. You're you're out. I got. We'll move someone. I don't have someone else, but we'll move someone else in. You can't replace me, Gary. Come on. It's like trying to replace John on the Cape Fear River. No way. It's not happening. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. The last 50 minutes or so has been a right. takeaway. Like, I mean, I don't know how I would document, you know, the best, but I, I, you know, early on he was talking about finding structure in shallow water. You know, when I think about striper fishing or something, I've, well, I don't really think about it that often, but if I do, I'm always like, Oh, maybe they're in deep holes. But I was kind of shocked by the shallow water thing. Cause I think when I've been a few times, very few times, I've always been fishing in like deeper, deeper water areas. So the shallow water, you know those areas and then uh loud and proud just like you just like your girlfriends in, in college gary <laughs> <laughs> i thought like and he kept saying that vibration <laughs> noise vibration noise they're you know <laughs> you're catching a bunch of blind old dudes so just uh lure them in with some with some action there and get them in so yeah man lots of good takeaways though yeah, I think the uh, the joy for us of having John on the show is one, he does a lot of talks, he does a lot of presentations, as you can probably tell. And so, you know, not just polished, but just well familiar with audience and delivery of information and useful information. I mean, that's part of, you know, why I wanted to have him back on the podcast is because he he is he's a professional angler, not just a guide, but man, he works hard for his sponsorships. He's got a lot of great sponsorships and there's a reason why he's an ambassador and yeah. he's helpful, man. I mean, and I can't stress enough. People watch the podcast. Hopefully people will go to the saltwater fishing school in February, either Moorhead or Wilmington. But if you're going to invest that money, if you're going to invest time, it's just such a small jump to get on the boat with one of these captains and experience it firsthand. I, I hope to be a better advocate for that, you know, moving mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, when you hear like losing this lure, losing that lure, I don't know when's the last time you went and bought a lure, but I'm like, that's going to be way cheaper for me to lose his lures than mine. <laughs> so. Buy lures. I thought, I thought people what? just mailed you lures. I didn't know you actually went to buy them. 
Yeah, nobody mails me lures. If you want to, reach out to me, Billy at fishmanspost.com. I'll put your logo on the screen and we'll fill Gary's tackle. Wait, it already is full. Never mind. <laughs> well, Gary, it's been a great episode, man. I want to thank our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center, SRD20, making the show possible. Go support those guys when you can, where you can, even if it's just going to Marine Warehouse, buying some of these lures, and then giving SRD20 a shot, buy some of your boat cleaning materials from them, and uh, tell them the Fishman Post guys sent you over. So, Gary, that's a good episode, man. I don't know if it gets any better than that. We'll see you in the next one. That's great, man. Thank you so much. Fisherman's up.